Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on GoToDobbs.com today. With Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line where we are happy to be joined by Greg Wyshynski. He is the senior NHL writer at ESPN and the co-host of the Puck Soup podcast. You can find him on Twitter at his last name, Wyshynski. Greg, how are you doing today, man? Doing well. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. We're happy to have you on. So let's start with this. It seems like, based on the news that we've been seeing and kind of reading the tea leaves, we're starting to make our way toward these players returning to their home cities. How far away do you think we are at this point to actually seeing these guys back on the ice? Back on the ice, far away. (laughs) Back in their training facilities, things like that, a lot closer. I mean, you know, the NBA obviously is opening up at least four teams are opening up their training facilities for small groups. Um, I think it's inevitable that some places in the NHL where the restrictions uh, have been eased or lifted when it comes to uh, mass gatherings and, and uh, essential businesses, you'd expect to see some players going back to those facilities on the ice is, a, is sort of a two pronged <clears throat> answer though. On the one hand, will we see players on the ice at these practice facilities? And, I've been told that there's been a huge pushback by, uh, by some of the teams in the league that are in places with uh, bigger restrictions in place. Like here, I'm, I'm in Santa Clara County in California, for example. I mean, we're still in a, in, a, in a shutdown lockdown situation until the end of May. So if you're the Sharks and, and you've not been able to get on the ice for a couple months and you look over at the Dallas Stars and they're skating around having full practices and stuff, I mean, that's not going to really fly. So uh, the thing I've heard is that it may be a situation where players will be able to go to these practice facilities, work out, <clears throat> use the equipment, get, get uh, you know, fixed up if they got injuries, but not actually get back on the ice uh, just to make it an even playing field. As far as restarting the season, well, that's a whole different conversation. I mean, that is a, a situation that is changing by the day, um, and there is absolutely nothing concrete with regard to uh, when and if they'll come back and play. So, Greg, I guess my follow-up question to that would be, if you're the Sharks, for instance, why not, instead of refusing to allow anybody to get on the ice, why don't you have those guys go to another city and they're able to get on the ice wherever that is allowed? Why, why not do it that way? Well, that's, I mean, that's obviously what kind of uh, forced the NBA's hand, right? Like, it was when Georgia was opening up and then you had every NBA player in the league being like, I'm going to go practice with the Hawks, uh, it became kind of an issue. Um, I think that that's, that's a good question. Um, I think that we are dealing with a much larger roster with the NHL than we are with the NBA. Um, and then, you know, you, you combine in all the ancillary staff that you need as well to, you know, facilitate that. Um, I think you're also dealing with a situation that we're, we're seeing with the restart of the season, which is this hesitation for players to leave their families, leave their children, leave older relatives. Uh, during a pandemic to uh, to go play games somewhere else. I think the same thing would be applied to uh, training camps or practices. And again, like what we're talking about here is merely reopening some of the training facilities to get access to better equipment than they have at home, to train a little bit harder than they are right now. Um, we're not necessarily talking about full-on training camps 
uh, of which we've been told by the NHLPA they might need three weeks of uh, before they actually restart the season. Now, Greg, let's just you know fast forward through this and let's just pretend that all of this works out and that the players are allowed to get back into their facilities and work out and eat and skate and, and be together as a team. What is the latest idea being floated around from the NHL? I know the hub cities were one thing, then they talked about 10 cities. Now they've talked about maybe having the teams in their hometowns. Just bring us up to speed on, on what the latest rumor is. Well, the, the discussions this week, and, and usually how it works is that on Monday, the NHL has a call with either its board of governors or its general managers. On Wednesday, this <clears throat> return to play committee has been meeting, uh, obviously, all over Zoom uh, and virtually where it's a combination of NHL officials, NHLPA officials, and, and players like John Tavares and, and Connor McDavid. Um, and, and so these meetings happen during the week. And, and I've been told that, you know, it's a situation where they'll, they'll close business on Friday. On Sunday, Gary Bettman and Bill Daly will have a discussion. And then on Monday, it's a whole different thing hmm. that they're talking about versus what they were talking about the previous week. That's how quickly this stuff changes. That said, I can tell you, I was, I was uh, informed last night by a source um, in the NHL, that uh, the, the 24 team playoff scenario uh, that's been talked about on and off for about a month, um, but it sort of picked up steam this week, uh, has g- gained more attention. Um, the idea of not finishing the regular season logistically, that might, being too, right, that might be too impossible. And then to switch it to a 24 team uh, playoff scenario where you would have um, you know, clusters of six teams in, in four different places and have some semblance of a, of a play-in series or play-in game to uh, figure out what the lower seeds are going to be. So th- that's sort of the focus now, at least temporarily. Um, but like we've written about many times on ESPN in, in the last few weeks, there's a lot of money that would be left on the table if they don't complete the regular season um, with regard to the broadcast contracts the teams have locally, with regard to contracts with local sponsors, in some cases, that money's already been paid out, and what you would be doing is crediting back that money off of next season's revenue. And the last thing that any of these teams want to do is impact what happens next season, either with a schedule, from a scheduling perspective or from a revenue perspective. We're talking with Greg Wyshynski. He's a senior NHL writer over at ESPN. You can listen to him. He's a co-host of the Puck Soup podcast and give him a follow on Twitter at Wyshynski. Hey, Greg, uh, we've seen most recently Michael Russo's article talking about um, the Devin Dubnik side of this one saying that he's just really hesitant about being quarantined away from his family for close to four months if that were to happen. But we've also seen players come out and say that they don't want to take test kits away from people who absolutely need it. In your opinion, which one do you feel like is more of a holdup for these players to returning to action? I would, I would say it's, it's the family aspect of it. You know, one of the things the NHL has been consistent about um, in talking about a return to play is the idea that they would have to source and gather their testing equipment, their medical equipment, uh, anything that they would need um, with regard to, you know, dealing with the pandemic on their own. Uh, the, the, they've been very, very specific in saying that they are not going to go to any place uh, where they're going to have to take resources away from the community. Now, I mean, obviously, if you if you bring a bunch of hockey teams to Columbus, Ohio, there's going to be some resources dedicated from the community to facilitating this. I mean, whether it's law enforcement or, or what have you. I mean, that's just going to be a, a fact of life. But when it comes to testing kits and things like that, um, they've been adamant about saying it's not going to be a situation where they take it away from, from uh, the community. Now, as far as the players go... Um, it's an interesting situation. The Athletic the other day dropped a, a survey of like 57 guys 
where the majority of them said that they want to come back and finish the season. I mean, I think it was like 80% of them. The thing that was missing from that survey um, was demographic information. And in the conversations I've had with players in the last month or two, um, it's pretty clear that there is a split between guys like Devin Dubnik, who are 34, who have a family, um, who have probably older relatives that, uh, you know, and have been living with, you know, wife and kids for a few months now and are really worried about leaving and coming back and also being worried about how they're going to see their families when they're away at these cluster cities versus the 22 year old that's, you know, tired of playing Call of Duty in his condo. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's, like, it's like a big split. So, you know, it's an interesting, it's an interesting conundrum because if you know your, your history when it comes to the NHLPA, it's usually the older players that have the more prominent voices, the, the bigger influence, the ones that are pushing for, for, for things when it comes to like labor negotiations. So I, I do wonder if the dynamic will remain here where it'll be the guys that are in their early to mid thirties um, with the families and the kids that are, that are driving this conversation and driving this decision versus the younger guys that, you know, as, as we all remember when we were younger, probably feel invincible. Yeah, I remember those days. <laughs> Once again here, we're talking to Greg Wyshynski, at Wyshynski on Twitter. Greg, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the piece you put together of the NHL teams and their top line in franchise history, a cult line, and then certainly their current top line with that organization. I looked through that, and it took me forever to get through it. <laughs> How many days or weeks did you spend putting this together, and what was the criteria? Did you go straight points for the line, or was there some personal opinion in the matter as well? <laughs> well, thanks for that. Um, yeah, it's like 7,000 words at the end of the day, which is like a book, you know, <laughs> uh, or at least an e-book. Um, but, no, it, it was a few weeks in the making, I mean, obviously, as we all are, are trying to produce content and keep people entertained, um, you know, some of the stuff that would, would otherwise maybe be a summer project gets moved up into, into May and, and April and stuff. But this one was a really fun one to put together. And the thing that I wanted to do most of all was cut it off at 30 years. Like, it is lazy and easy to just go back and be like, the production line, the Triple Crown line, you know, the, all this other stuff from like the 70s, 60s, and 50s that are always at the top of these lists. So I, I cut it off at 89.90, and as far as the criteria goes, um, a lot of it did have to do with offensive production. Um, a lot of it had to do with, um, you know, what role that line played for a team. For example, uh, to, to use the Devils for an example, the A line with uh, Eliash, Arda, and Sikora helped them win a cup in 2000. The crash line, the famous checking line with Randy McKay, Mike Peluso, and Bobby Holik, you know, helped them win a cup in 95. So. It, it, the impact of the line, the, the explosiveness of the line, and you know, I, I tried to also make it a thing. Usually, where the line had to be legitimate. You know, it can't just be like three guys that randomly played together a few minutes in a game just just to get like three Hall of Famers in the same line. But it was a really big undertaking, and I think it turned out. I think it turned out really well, and I know it turned out well because uh, it created some debate, but it, it didn't have a lot of people telling me I had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> Now, Greg, as I look through those lines, um, I noticed that you didn't have my name anywhere in there, which I'm sure, you know, I'm sure you regret that. I mean, there Big was oversight. a time, even though I'm a defenseman, there was a time where I did play center between P.J. Stock and Dennis Bonvey, and I'll tell you what, we were quite the production line in Boston. I have to imagine that's the case, man. It, it reminds me of the time I also did a, a project earlier this year with uh, uh, talking to guys about their first line mates in the league. And uh, I talked to George Peros, who now obviously is the head of player safety for the NHL, and I'm like, well, who were your first line mates in the league? 
He's like, oh, yeah, you know, I played in Los Angeles. I played with uh, Luke Robitaille and Jeremy Roenick. I'm like, holy cow. <laughs> That's crazy. He's like, he's like, he's like yeah, they, they, you know, I was thrilled with it, man, but I don't think they were too happy about it. <laughs> now, Greg, have you had any, I don't want to call it pushback, but have you had anybody, you know, send you a text or a little message on the side? maybe former player that's like, oh, come on, you know, questioning maybe one of your lines that you picked? I got a few people saying, thanking me for the trip down memory lane. There's a lot of sort of remembering some guys' nostalgia uh, in this piece. And, and, you know, I had had one guy telling me he hadn't thought about, uh, you know, John LeClaire in a while mm-hmm. when we were talking about the Legion of Doom. But the one the one big pushback from readers that I got, and it's a legitimate one, I, I'll, 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 I'll humor this one, um, the top line for the Ducks in the last 30 years, I said, was Penner, Getzlaff, and Perry. Now, that's a line that was good in two different eras. It was good when they won the Cup, um, and then it was good again when, when uh, Penner came back to the team. Um, but the pushback was Solani and Korea probably have to be your choices, and, and they've themselves said that Steve Ruchin was a big uh, part of, of the line that worked best for them when they were the Ducks. So that was probably the one that got mentioned most was that line. Um, and then, obviously, you know, the, the Oilers fans saying, how could you do this project and leave Connor McDavid off the list? And then all, all the Penguins fans being like, how could you do this project and leave Sidney Crosby off the list? And in both cases, I mean, you just look at how it broke down and, and you know, they, they're not on the current best lines. And uh, in their history, there are better lines uh, than the ones that they played on that got, uh, that got the nod. With Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kiley. He's Greg Wyshynski. You can read his work on ESPN. He's a senior NHL writer for ESPN and hear him on the Puck Soup podcast. Greg, we always appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. That's Greg Wyshynski joining us here on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. I want to react to a couple of things he said there. One was the new playoff format that they're potentially looking at, and the other is the thing that's still holding things up for the NHL. The MLB seems to be figuring this out. I think the NHL needs to next. We'll do that all on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN.